Recording is started. Thank you, Mr. Young. Good evening. This is the November 21, 2023 regular meeting of the complaint committee of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force of the City and County of San Francisco. The time is 5.33 p.m. The Sunshine Ordinance Task Force and its committees convene in hybrid meetings that allow for either in-person attendance or remote, remote participation. Public comment will be taken on each item of the agenda. Meeting decorum. Any member of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force may call for decorum due to the disorderly conduct of meeting participants. Persons who engage in threatening and or menacing, menacing behavior may be asked to leave. Chair Schmidt, that concludes my announcements. Thank you. Uh, so it, I guess what, let's go ahead with number one on the agenda. Item one, call to order, roll call, and agenda changes. Roll call. Member Sugarman? Here. Sugarman, Sugarman present. Member Stein? Present. Member present. Stein, present. Yeah. Chair Schmidt? Present. Chair Schmidt, present. Chair Schmidt, you have a quorum. All right. And I, I, I don't have any agenda changes. I don't, if anyone does, go ahead and speak up. Looks like we've got a real, real small agenda. So, member Sugarman is going to really <laughs> love this committee, <laughs> but then you'll see it might change. Maybe we can catch up a bit on our full task force case caseload. Okay, uh, no, no agenda changes. Uh, let's go ahead with public comment on number one. Apologies. Oh, My computer is just being really squirrely. It's all right. Oh, there it goes. Okay, if there's anyone who would like to make public comment on this matter, you can raise your hand by pressing star three if you're on the telephone or use your uh, application to raise your hand. Okay. I do not see any hands raised at this time. All right, thank you. Let's move on to number two then. Item two, approval of the October 17, 2023 complaint committee meeting minutes. Uh, members, any, any changes? Uh, go ahead, Member Stein. Um, yeah, I have a couple of changes. So, sorry, I have to open this file again. Okay, so oops, that's not it. <laughs> On page five, item six, under action. Um, I'm going back there myself. Okay, so action. Um, if you go down three lines, it says allegations against member will be denied because there is no verifiable request. Um, I think we should say records request, no verifiable records request. So it's just really clear what we're referring to. Would you re repeat that, please? Beginning. Okay, so it's a page five, item six, under action. It says. 
allegations against line three under action allegations against member wolf be denied because there is no verifiable request it should say there's no verifiable records request and then probably more importantly on line four it says um, there is no violation of 67.6 f um, what we actually said was that we should look at whether there was a violation of 67.6 F and of California Government Code 54954 on the part of the SOTF or the SOTF administrator, since the SOTF does not supervise its own administrator. So we didn't say there was no violation. We said that we needed to look at whether there was a violation. And I believe we added in the government code 54954. And we said the violation, you know, if there was one, would have been on the part of the SOTF or the SOTF administrator. Since the SOTF does not supervise its administrator. And then I just have one more, which is under item 10, which is on page seven. It says member Stein provided information regarding the west side and how that process works. That is not what happened. Um, the only thing I know that I spoke about was that we have a dead link under how the complaint process works on the SOTF website that if you go to the website that talks about how the complaint process works and you click the link it's dead and so i said that's something we should look into i don't know what west side is and that those are my only changes can you please state um what you would like to see under item 10 page 7. i think it should say that member stein uh, stated that the link at how the complaint process works on the SOTF website is a dead link and needs to be fixed. Be stating. Uh, Member Stein stated that the link at how the complaint process works on the SOTF website is a dead link comma and needs to be fixed. Yeah, I mean, I actually have, I can send you if you want the actual link that's dead if, if you guys want to know where that is. Mr. Young, how do I note that in the record? Uh, my apologies, I'm trying to get my computer to work. Oh, no, so we are going to be provided of, of um, a way to recreate a dead link that is has been found by member Stein. How do we note in the record? Um, we, uh, we just note that we want to make a correction and then we'll take care of it. Is it permissible for member Stein to send me a yeah, that's an example? Fine. Um, I was, I can send it straight to, so I don't, I'm not sure how to reach you, but, um, you just send it to the main, uh, SOTF email. Uh, we are all monitoring that. What is the main SOTF? SOTF at sfgov.org. 
Okay. And you mentioned that you are sending okay. it right now. Okay. That, those are my only changes. Okay. So change number one, page five, item six, under action. Three lines down. Allegations against member will be denied because there is no verifiable records request. Correct. Adding the word records. May I get a restatement of the second correction at line four um, in looking at a violation and the fact that um, code section 54954 was added? Yeah, this is what I have in my notes that the motion, the motion I made. Um, okay, hold on, gotta find it again. Um, Oh, she's looking. I'm going to yeah, pose ahead. a general question. Um, there's mention of sending an email to the task force address uh, uh, with uh, uh, Ms. Peterson getting involved here. I just wanted to ask, in, in this period of time, say the near future, who would be the ones who review um, emails that are going into the general account and it, like who on a daily basis what is the procedure for that um currently i am looking in the general mailbox for any item that is agendized at the complaint committee this week while ms leisure is on vacation i am monitoring mm -hmm. with assistance okay okay and and so she's on vacation um but when she's around, um, is there a, a standard type of thing or is that changing in terms of who, who reviews those emails? You are. Um, Cheryl is the primary. Cheryl is I mean, the primary. And then uh, as needed, she will uh, let us know if there's anything else we need to deal with with the complaint. While she is gone, we we just keep an eye on the email box to make sure there's nothing unusual going on. Okay. Okay. We do have an internal system for indicating that something has been looked at, has been processed, um, and by whom. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That that helps. I just wanted to get a sense of of uh, the, the process. Okay. So back to um, item six under action. I'm ready. If you go to the fourth line. You know, it says there's no verifiable records request at issue, and it should say the SO instead of saying there is no violation, blah blah blah. It should say and the SOTF should look at whether there was a violation. Of sixty-seven point six F. And California Government Code 54954 on the part of the SOTF or the SOTF administrator. And for even more clarity, you can put in parentheses since SOTF does not supervise its own administrator.
line four, item six, instead of um, there was no violation, mm -hmm. say, and the SOTF should look at whether there was a violation of 67.6 sub F and California government code 54954 on the part of the SOTF or the SOTF administration, parent, parenthetical, since SOTF does not supervise its own administrator. Yes. Close parenthetical, period. Yeah, thank you. And to repeat the last one for the record, um, members Stein stated that the link at how the complaint process works on the SOTF website is a dead link and needs to be fixed. And the um, the link will be forwarded to the main mailbox of the of the uh, Sunshine Ordinance Task Force. That is correct, and it has been done. Thank you. Wow, thank you, Vice Chair Stein. Um, that's awesome that you uh, caught uh, many, many um, issues. And not to say that it's not a process that is just something where we all are sort of involved in getting the final minutes. Um, but uh, having multiple eyes on it is, is just great. Um, Member Sugarman, did you have any edits to the, the minutes? No, I do not. Okay, thank you. And um, I would, I would move uh, that we approve the minutes as as um, edited by uh, Vice Chair Stein. I'll second that. This is Member Stein. Thank you. In a moment, we'll we'll have a public comment on that. I'm having internet connections on my laptop. <laughs> So, if you'd like to make public comment at this time, you can uh, raise your hand by pressing star three or otherwise using the application to raise your hand. I do not see any hands raised at this time. Okay, thank you. Let's uh, let's go ahead with a vote. Member Stein? Aye. Member Stein, aye. Member Sugarman? Aye. Sugarman, aye. Chair, Chair Schmidt? Aye. Schmidt, aye. Just, uh, just so the record reflects, uh, the motion was, I was the maker of the motion and uh, Member Stein was the second. Thank you. No problem. And when we're the motion passes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Yeah. Item number three. Item three is a public is. I item three is public comment. Members of the public may address the committee on matters that are within the committee's jurisdiction, but not on today's agenda.
If you'd like to make public comment at this time, you can raise your hand by pressing star three or otherwise using the application to raise your hand. Is there anyone who would like to make general public comment at this time? You can raise your hand. And just note there's no members of the public in the room at this time, so all our comments will be online. Okay, that'd be star three or use the application to raise your hand. I do not see any hands raised at this time. Thank you. Okay. Uh, public comment is closed. Let's move on to number four. Item four. Item four is file number 20008. Complaint filed by Anne Trebeau against Dwight Moore and the Office of the City Attorney for allegedly, allegedly violating Administrative Code Sunshine Ordinance sections 67.25 and 67.27 by failing to respond to an immediate disclosure request in a timely and or complete manner. I'd just like to note, I have made the Mr. Boa panelists and Jen Court a panelist. I assume that you are the parties uh, to this matter. You have control over your own microphones at this time. All right, uh, because this is the first case, I'll just give a brief review of uh, how we're going to uh, do our procedures here today. We will start uh, with up to three minutes. We will hear from the petitioner first, and then follow that with up to three minutes. We'll hear from the respondent. Uh, we, we, the members have already had their chance to review the documents. Um, after those presentations, we will move to questions. The members may have questions of the parties, of witnesses. And after that, the members will convene. They will discuss uh, how we want to proceed with the case. We have um, two sort of um, preliminary issues that we always look at. One is our documents or meetings public, and then the other is, it, do, does the task force have jurisdiction? And I think that I would like to say, it's my understanding that that means, do we have jurisdiction over the, the entity that is named as a respondent or entities? Um, and we will also consider placing an item uh, under the consent calendar before the task force. We may approve the case to be heard by the full task force. We do not make any final decisions at this time in this committee. And we may also possibly, in certain cases, make recommendations to the full task force, but ultimately, any sort of determination and order would need to wait until the matter was scheduled before the full task force. So, 
at this time when uh, Ms. Peterson is uh, has a timer to 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 time to three minutes. We'll hear first from the petitioner when Ms. Peterson indicates she's ready. Thank you, Chair, Chair Schmidt. Um, Ms. Trebeau, are you ready? Just like to know you have control over your own microphone now, you can unmute your mic. Let me know when you're ready, Ms. Trebeau. Hi, can you hear me? We can hear you. Are you are you ready to begin? Yes. Yes, Your I am. I'm ready. Thank you. Your three minutes begins now. Uh, members of the complaint committee, thank you for giving me the opportunity to hear this complaint from 2019. I'm asking that you hear this complaint on the merits and ignore the personal attack, slander, and misinformation put forth in the respondent's response. I'm asking that you consider 6725, 6726, and 6727 as the potential violations of the Sunshine Task Force. I never received any documents, never, none were ever sent to me on a rolling basis or in a redacted form. No effort was made in assisting me getting them. Um, the timeline goes like this, December, 27th, 2019, I emailed Dwight Moore with the subject heading immediate disclosure request, page 780 of your packet. January 13th, 2020, I emailed SOTF explaining I didn't get a response and I would like a hearing. Again, page 780. On February 5th, 2020, I emailed SOTF asking to be contacted on a different email I explained the reason why and included supporting documents. On February 5th, 2020, a Liz Colbris of the uh, San Francisco City Attorney's Office sent an email. No reason was given for the late response. No documents were sent. No indication that any would be sent. The same day I called the number listed on the email, I listened to her for a few minutes. She didn't know who I was, what the Sunshine Ordinance was, or even why I was calling. Page 789 of your packet. On February 12, 2020, I emailed SOTF with a copy to uh, Ms. Cole Berth, page 791. February 11, 2020, John Cote, I guess that's his name, emails. SOTF a letter, but he doesn't copy me on it. And there included is a lot of misinformation, which I went through bit by bit in a letter uh, that I sent, but I sent it late, so it wasn't in your packet. That's 30 uh, mainly seconds. is 30, 30 seconds. seconds left. Okay. Um, basically, um, I asked members of the complaint committee, I asked the US recommendation to find the violations made by Dwight, Dwight Moore of the San Francisco City Attorney's Office, again, for 6725, 26, and 27. The uh, excuse of the lost email, uh, the use twice before, six months previous. That was three minutes, previous, Mr. Bell. Six months previous, 
they had six months to to uh, fix their story of the lost email. They never did. So this is the third time they're using this. Thank, Thank you for you. your time. Thank you, Ms. Trippo. All right. Uh, when, when Ms. Peterson's ready, we'll hear from the respondent, Ms. Court. Ms. Court, are you ready? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Can hear you. Great. Thanks. Yes, I'm ready. Thank you. Your three minutes begins now. Great. Thank you. Um, good evening, Chair and members. Jen Court on behalf of the City Attorney's Office. Um, I wanted to just briefly touch on the timeline again, because I think there was just a piece left out there. Um, as the uh, petitioner said, they uh, sent an email for an immediate disclosure, disclosure request in December of 2019 to a staff person in our office. However, that staff person never received the email. Um, the petitioner then filed this complaint with the task force in January of 2020. And then once the task force sent notification of the complaint to our office on February 4th, we started looking into what happened and because we had this was the first time we were hearing of it. Um, so the staff person who the IDR was sent to searched his inbox. Um, he had couldn't find the email. Um, then our IT department confirmed that our email system, the fil spam filter had basically automatically quarantined this email from the petitioner and it was never delivered to the staff person. Um, and then Regardless, after receiving notice of the complaint from the task force on February 4th, we responded to the petitioner the next day on February 5th. Um, my understanding, this was a while ago, this complaint, but my understanding is that this records request was identical to two others that were made in November 19th and June 2019. Um, with regard to the underlying records that were sought, the petitioner already had all of these records that she was seeking. She was asking for records in an appellate case in which she was a party to that case. In fact, she was the one who initiated the appeal of that case and she participated in the court's electronic filing system. So through all of those avenues, she had already received all non-privileged documents in this matter. Um, and we, while we completely recognize that records requests can be sent to any as city employee, just as a practical matter on the complaints prior to this one, um, we had asked the petitioner as early as 2018 to send records requests to our designated public records email inbox. Um, someone is always monitoring that inbox and as far as we understand, it's never had the same spam quarantine filtering issue that our individual employees did. Um, but the petitioner continued to not be um, willing to send records requests to that email inbox. Um, so I think that's it. Lastly, I just want to flag that, you know, as you know, this is a rather old complaint. Um, and because of that, several key people that were in the office at the time have either retired or left the office. So with that, I'll do my best to answer any questions you all have. Thank you. All right, now uh, members can ask questions of the parties if we have any. Members, any anything um, for either party? Um, I have a, a couple questions. This is member Stein. Um, for the respondent, first off, I wanted 
I don't think I saw any documentation in the packet from the IT department confirming that this original email went into the spam filter. And if there is any documentation, I encourage you to put it in the packet. Um, but I wanted to ask you separately, um, was a search performed? Was a search for these documents performed? So, yes, a search was performed, but the thing is, is that the, um, the records, many of these records that the um, petitioner was seeking are one records that she had already, she was the filer of these records. Um, so all of these records that she had, like she has just as much access via the court to these records that the office does. Right, I understand that that would be the case with respect to some of the records, but I'm asking like, was a search performed? And can you tell me the details about how a search was performed in which you found that there were no other documents except for documents that were privileged or part of a legal proceeding? So I do know that a search was performed. However, as I mentioned, two of the employees that are involved in this, um, you know, were involved in the case at the time and involved in this matter have one has left the office and one has since retired. So they're not available to me at this stage, like four years later, to ask exactly what it is that they did. Okay, thank you. And then I have a question for the petitioner, which is, yeah. um, do you believe that the city attorney's office has documents in its possession that aren't part of the work product privilege or covered by privilege that are not already in uh, court case files and what kind of documents might that be? Uh, yes, uh, firstly, let, I, I will answer your question, but firstly, let me preface this. I did not file electronically. I filed everything by, by hand and by mail. So I did not have access. Uh, I could not physically walk into the public records room at the California Court of Appeal because I was out of the state. The, pre the previous two records requests were not identical. They were made to Margaret Bumgardner, but passed off to somebody called Andrea Guzman, who sent me somebody else's privileged and confidential case. So here I was again, looking for documents that were not sent to me that the city attorney's office was in procession of, that were relevant to a case in New York in the Southern District of New York. I had to fly into San Francisco to walk into the public records room to get the two forged proof of services from investigator Dwight Moore that were filed with the court. As uh, your chair may know, I believe he's a lawyer, that uh, civil harassment cases are shielded in California, even though they have a website and you can dock it, you can access cases, civil harassment cases are not visible. So yes, in answer to your question, I believe the city attorney's office has uh, documents and information that I needed desperately at that time and that I would still like to have. Okay, thank you. Member Sugarman, any questions? Go ahead. This is our this is our chance. Um, 
I don't want to say I have no questions. It's that I, I'm not, I, I did review the case, um, but I'm not quite sure exactly what what is proper procedure here? So there was there was a there was a part of it that that interested me. Uh, like I said, it's not, I'm not really sure if it's for petitioner or for respondent, um, but it had to do with um, whether or not that the request was made to um, the individual person in the city attorney's office or to their email. So it seems like there there is. Uh, there's there's a question of whether there was like proper protocol um, that that's been raised, but also that the city attorney's office had set up an email that potentially wasn't used. So that was sort of like that that had flagged my interest at the time. So um, I would like to answer that if I may. Mm -hmm. In 2018-2019, um, on the city attorney's website. There was no generic email for public records requests. In fact, that is included in the minutes of the two previous sunshine violations, Antrobo v. Margaret Bumgardner. I was asked once again, why didn't you send it to this generic email? Because it didn't exist at the time. If I could just jump in. Um, so the that email address absolutely has existed for many 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 years um but uh whether or not it was on our website at the time i'm not sure but i do know that that request was made directly to the petitioner multiple times um over the years to use that email address and again i just want to be clear that you know any we completely realize that any um city employee can someone can make a records request of any city employee but just speaking practically because we had had this like it kind of spam filtering issue that is why that request was made thank you all right um member sugarman i'm uh i'm gonna just uh it's we, we just had two answers to the question which is great we we had the answer from each side uh, but I didn't want to get into a back and forth with parties there, so I, I stopped them. Do you have any uh, further or follow-up questions? Not at this time. Okay. And we can ask questions at any time until we're done with the case. So don't worry about that. Okay, that's that's fine in this in this committee. I think member Stein may have a yeah, question or two. It's it's more of a comment again um, to the respondent, but you know the only um, example of asking uh, the petitioner to submit to a certain email address is dated February fifth, um, which is after um, the complaint was filed. So if you do have any documents that show that there were multiple requests to send it to a certain email address before the complaint was filed or before the request was made, I would also in, tell, um, suggest that you include those in this packet, that you add them to the packet. Understood. Yeah, I believe those are available. Thank you. I have a few questions. Um, firstly, um, to Ms. Court, uh, what's the process at the city attorney's office for looking at 
um, what goes into spam. So, our in terms of you know this is I'm not a technical person, so this is I'm limited in this area. However, um, what I would say is that our individual we are responsible for monitoring our as employees our own individual spam folders. However, as far as I understand, there is kind of a a broader spam filter, if you will, where it doesn't even get to our inboxes, where it's like the email system is filtering out something before it can even get to our individual spam folders and our IT department manages that. And so I'm, that's not really something I'm super, super familiar with. Okay. Thank you. Um, and you had said that uh, Mr. <laughs> Bo had made a an identical request. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions about this identical request. Did, did that identical request end up in a complaint before the task force? Or was it just requests that you believe the city attorney's office uh, filled by doing what their obligations were um, under the circumstances. I'm sorry, was that for? Oh, that, was, that, that was for Ms. Ms. Quart, uh, the city attorney's office, the response. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, I have not reviewed all of the previous um, complaints from this same petitioner, um, so I'm not intimately familiar with like all of the details of every single one, but I have seen at least three about the same topic. Okay. That were from, yeah. from 2019 and 2018. Okay, thank you. Uh, Ms. Trebeau, uh, were there any identical requests that you made for the appellate court record? Uh, no, this was the only request that I made. There were uh, two cases involving Dwight Moore um, that uh, resulted in orders for the exact same reason, and two, I believe, against Margaret Bumgardner uh, for the same story of the lost emails. Uh, but they were not for a court of appeal case. I did um, request uh, documents for the trial court case, um, and it, Andrea Guzman of the city attorney's office sent me somebody else's file. So no, I it was for the trial court case, right? Yes, the uh, superior the court. court. Okay. Yes. When, yeah. When you had a matter before the trial court, uh, did you have access? Were you able to uh, look on the um, the court's website to review no. the, the file? No, because of uh, a ruling. I don't know exactly when it happened, but all civil harassment cases are sealed. Okay. Uh, it, you, yeah, the public is not able to access any uh, going back, I don't know how far, but many, many years. So no, I did not have access. 
And I, I can't say uh, that I know the process at the appellate court level when you're dealing with a civil harassment case. Uh, was it your experience at the appellate level that you also were not able to access the case electronically? Uh, no, I could not because I was not an electronic filer. I, I, as I said, I physically wrote the paperwork. I had to bind them. Eleven copies had to be sent. Uh, the um, registered mail. It was an entirely different process. So as a paper filer, I did not have access to the court case or to the files. Okay. I, I, were you were you sent um, hard copy uh, documents in that appellate litigation by the city attorney's office during no, during I no okay uh, not during and uh, not prior to the hearing uh, that was pre COVID so I had to physically come in uh, to the court for that hearing. And, Okay, and so there was a hearing where um, you were present at the hearing and there was someone there from the other side, correct? Correct, but okay. I went the day before to review the case file. They, they gave me what they could. It was incomplete and there at were the, no proof the, of services. At the no appellate court. At, at the, the appellate court. court. Okay. Yeah. And, and, um, or, let's see, do you, is it your understanding that the, the city attorney's office attempted to serve you through the electronic system instead of um, sending you hard copy in the mail? I had no indication of that. I called the clerk's office. I knew many of the clerks by first name, they recognized my voice and I would continually ask them, do you have any new filings or is there any paperwork on this case? And, and they continued. Court of, court of Appeals? Yes, the Court okay. of Appeals with, in, okay. in San Francisco, first district. Thank you. And uh, Ms. Court, last question. Um, do you have any indication that the city attorney's office uh, served Ms. Trebeau during the appellate litigation electronically and or by uh, sending hard copies to an address. And I wonder if you have any idea where you would have sent either the electronic version of service or the hard copies. Um, okay, if I could just take a little bit of a step back on this, um, you know, I just want to be clear that um, Ms. Trebeau equally to the city in the lower at the lower court level and at the appellate court level, they were both we were both parties in the case. So Ms. Trebeau is a party in the case. We are a party in the case. The city is a party, an adverse party to her in the case. Got it. But all parties have access to documents like they can get those from the court absolutely and oh, i would wow. say that we i would say that we're 
in terms of our litigation against Mr. Boat, that a sunshine issue is separate and I understand that, but like in terms of our litigation against Mr. Boat, we do not have that responsibility. We don't have a responsibility to help out adverse parties in litigation. I'm just wondering, during the appellate part of the litigation, how were you, how were you serving? Because you do have an obligation to serve the other party. And the reason I'm asking that is that if she was an attorney, she was fully having access to, you know, the, the electronic system, then yeah, uh, she should be able to get these documents that way. But she is not capable of doing that as I understand it. So I'm just asking you, yeah. How, how was service done in the in the yeah. case? So, um, I can't that litigation went on for a while and I can't speak to how every single document or every single portion of that case was served. However, what I can do is I'm happy to provide the um, task force with the appellate record and also happy to um, provide the task force with the appellate ruling in that case, which ruled in favor of the city and did not find any issues with service. I think if you can do that, I think that it would be important to, to give that to the task force and to Mr. Bow, um, irregardless or regardless of what we do with this matter before the task force. Uh, my, my concern is that you you do you do still have an obligation to serve the other party and i it's not clear to me yet how the city attorney was attempting to serve her if she was in new york and um I'm so that's sorry. why that's that's what i'm trying to figure yeah. out and I, I think that would help me know uh if the if the city attorney's office had an obligation to respond to the the um public records request in a way that they wouldn't have to if someone did have access to that that electronic record okay understood and i just want to also be clear i just um we serve parties in litigation all across the country we use the same process servers I yeah. have no reason to believe that um, we would do anything different in Mr. Bo's case. I I completely understand. I, I have no reason to think otherwise. I just want to figure out how she was being served and and where. That's the that's the one question that I'm going to have, and that's something that you know we can hopefully know at the time. Uh, if we send, I, I assume we're sending this on to the full task force when we make a resolution, but. I think it would be good to know was she served electronically, uh, was she served by mail, and what was either the, the email address or the physical address where she was being served. Thank you. I have no further questions. Uh, I, I don't have any uh, questions for you, Ms. Trebeau. I'm assuming that there was difficulty in actually you getting the documents in the appellate litigation. Uh, it, well, I'll ask you this. Did you ever receive any documents during that litigation by either mail or electronically that you were able to receive uh, at the time you were served? 
Mr. Smith, I it's will answer your question, that, but yeah, it's but my understanding that the answer is no, right? You didn't get anything. Please let me preface this before I answer. I'm going to ask you to also include the finding or the consideration of failing to send a knowledgeable representative because this woman has not even come into the room. She's not submitted any response between the notification of this hearing today and uh, any anything. What, okay. what we got Thank you. so far. What was, your, what, what was the address that you used when you um, were involved in the appellate litigation? What is the, the address but, record that you use? Let's get that. Let's, let's figure that here, one out. Because you have to give them an address. What address did Smith, you use? Uh, Mr. Bo, just here. please, please, just what was the address you gave the court? Chair Smith, the purpose of the Sunshine Task Force. I, I don't need to speak to, from you. I want you to. Okay, you're not going to answer if you don't give me an address you're, right you're, now. You're not going to let okay. me speak. I'm not going to let gonna you let speak unless speak. you tell me the address. I can't pull the it out of my head because this is a sunshine hearing. What was the address of record? Do you remember? If you don't recall, you don't recall. Do you recall, Irrelevant was it, was to the complaint in front of you today. What did you court, tell the Court of Appeal was your address of record? Was it in New York or in California? Chair Smith, I'm asking you, you to consider I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear any. Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to have. I'm going to have the this microphone closed. Victor, could you shut her down, please? Thank you. Okay, um, members, we, we certainly, if there are further questions to Mr. Boat, you are welcome to ask her questions. Um, but I have no further questions for either party here. And so we, I think if there are no further questions for the parties, I think we can uh, figure out how we wanna uh, move this case forward. Any thoughts? Um, I have no question. I have no questions either. Okay. Uh, resolution, I, just for, for member Sugarman, it's very common that we will forward something to the task force. Uh, we, in most cases that we see, we see, yes, these are public documents or public meetings. We most often find, yes, there's jurisdiction. Uh, that's the common resolution under the current rules in the committee. And those are the cases that you've seen in, in the task force meetings uh, that come out of this committee. Um, I don't know if I see any way to do anything other than the norm on this, but I'm open to what the other members might think of how, how we would uh, work this. Yeah, um, I mean, I was gonna say, I, I do think these are public records under our jurisdiction and that we probably need to send it to the full SOTF for consideration of a violation of 67.25, 0.26 and 0.27. I do wanna say though that this 
case feels incomplete in terms of the documentation that we have to decide it. Um, particularly with, you know, there's a lot of things said on the side of the respondents that we don't have any documentation for. And then I'm not, you know, I, I'm not sure about if we have any recommendations to the petitioner about how to make the case clearer or stronger as well. Um, I don't know exactly what that would be, but if anybody else has any ideas, I think we should convey them. I think both of the parties uh, have a, have a, an idea of what we would like to see uh, going forward. I'm not sure if I have any other needs for information. Yes, member, member Sugarman. I just have one question about that. Um, I only have some documents in front of me. I, I'm, I'm curious to know what you're looking at because I did um, hear a lot of references today to documents that I have no, I have not seen. I've, I've only seen what was in the attachments and I, I went and I also looked through um, a, a packet that was sent to me earlier this month as well. A small one. So, I mean, I, th I think I've tried to indicate to the respondent, at least, that if you're going to say that there, this is a duplicate request, I'd like to see the request that it duplicates. <laughs> um, I would like to see examples of uh, communication sent to the petitioner that said, please send to this particular address before the complaint came in. Um, and I can't remember the right of one or two other things that I also already indicated to the respondent. Um, but I'm not the, the petitioner. Um, you know, I had 1 or 2 notes, but they're, you know, just occasionally things that are said in the petition where I don't really see the documentation for it. Like that. So, and so, uh, responded to something. Um, and somebody else did not, obviously, if someone didn't respond, you can't have documentation of it. But if you say you received an email from John Cote, and we don't have that email in the packet that it's just, it all becomes hearsay. If we don't have the documentation for it, and there were there were a couple things on there too that the respondent had said that that, that the petitioner had asked for records that they had already received in two other instances, so I didn't know anything about those. I was interested to see those, and then the petition the the petitioner had said something about um, receiving the wrong information in one of those instances as well. So that's uh, those are those are also in, in a similar way. I had no idea. I I had not seen any of that, so I wasn't sure. And so it kind of begged the question to me, especially from what from the respondents perspective, um, and it did come out in what they were saying, but it begged the question of what information was still being sought if the respondent believes they had actually produced it. And, and we don't, I mean, I, I believe uh, Ms. Quart has said she will provide, uh, I believe, the appellate record and uh we, we're it's not that we're interested in reading the substance of this appeal or the at the trial court that's not what we're looking for but um it would provide us some sense of um how the parties were communicating at the time they had something before the court of appeal and so um yeah, yeah. Any any of this that can be provided that hasn't been already provided when the record is made for the task force, um, it would it would help us uh, figure out what to how how to look at this and how to 
you know, make an order, et cetera, et cetera. But on the other hand, it may be that given that appellate record to uh, Ms. Trebeau is, is sort of what she's looking for anyway here. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm not, it's hard, I mean, it's, we're not, <laughs> it's hard to know for me what she is looking for exactly, and that's a question that I have. But from the point of view of the Sunshine Ordinance, somebody can go and request something like five times and you're still supposed to give it. Um, and for the respondent, even though there was a legal case, if a search is performed and if there are documents, you know, you, you need to perform the search, see, okay, how many of these documents are part of our legal privilege or something else. There might be documents in the search that don't really fall under that category. So that was also why I asked why, you know, whether a search was actually performed or whether they just decided without even doing that, that, oh, well, this is duplicative and we don't have to provide it because we're in a court case. Right. Um, so, so for all of those reasons, I, I still think we should send this, even though it's going to be a difficult thing to make a decision on to the full task force, because these are public records under our jurisdiction um, and we should send it to the task force for consideration. That's my motion. I'll second that motion. Thank you. Any public comment? Yes, if there's anyone who would like to make a public comment at this time, you can uh, raise your hand by using the application or pressing star three if you're attending by, by uh, telephone. I do not see any hands raised at this time. All right, let's have a vote. Member Stein. Aye. Member Stein, aye. Member Sugarman. Aye. Member Sugarman, aye. Chair Schmidt. Aye. Chair Schmidt, aye. All right, so that we'll go before the full task force next and let's move on to line five. Item five. Item number five is file number 23070. A complaint filed by Paul K-H-I-N-A, against the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency for allegedly violating Administrative Code Sunshine Ordinance Sections 67.21 by failing to provide public records in a timely and or complete manner. Okay, uh, same, same um, process. Uh, first, we'll hear from the petitioner. Uh, I'll ask right now, uh, do we have the parties here? Is Mr. Kina present? If you are a party to this matter, if you can raise your hand so I can recognize you, it would be appreciated. Mr. Kina, are you, um, are you there? Uh, anyone on behalf of uh, Muni? Um, Caroline, I, I don't know if you are part of Muni, but I did make you a panelist, so you have control of your own microphone. Oh, I see another person. Give me a moment. Yeah, Shana Dines is the lead for the SFMTA on this, and I'm here as backup support. Thank you. Okay. I have unmuted her. I have made her a panelist, so she has control over her own microphone. Hi, thank you. This is Shana.
All right. Uh, what one? Um, let Let me say since we finished the Trabo matter, uh, I'm guessing Ms. Trabo's not on the line, but she could be unmuted if, if for some reason uh, she were to stick around. I didn't want to prevent her from making public comment on other cases. You never know. Yes, I will be make that. I will note that. Okay, thank you. Um, so, uh, Paul Kina, are you here for your case? Okay. If oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. I I believe that Mr. Kina is not here for his hearing. Um, so I think that we should follow our rules, and I I think the terminology is we we table the matter or we dismiss the matter. Um, we will uh, table the matter pursuant to our complaint procedures, and we will notify the the complainant of the fact, and you will have a, a certain amount of time to respond if you would like to reopen it. That's what we'll do. So that's I, I will make the motion. Let's do it by motion to uh, table the matter in that it, it, per the rules. Um, I will second that motion. This is Member Stein. Okay, so we can hear public comment. Yes, if there are any members of the public who would like to make public comment on this matter, you can raise your hand by using the application to raise your hand. If you're on the telephone, you can press star three to raise your hand. I'll give everyone a moment. I do not see any raised hands at this time. Okay, so we can vote. Motion by Chair Schmidt, seconded by um, Member Stein to table the matter. Um, Chair Stein. Uh, Chair Schmidt, that is aye. Schmidt. Chair Schmidt, aye. Member Stein. Aye. Member Stein, aye. Member Sugarman. Aye. Member Sugarman, aye. And we will note the complaint procedure rule in our on the minutes. Thank you. All right, uh, next matter. One moment, please. Item six. Item number six is file number two three zero eight one. A complaint filed by Zahir Nasri against the San Francisco International Airport Ground Transportation Unit for allegedly violating administrative code, the Sunshine Ordinance, section 67.21 by failing to provide public records in a timely and or complete manner. Okay, let's see if the parties are here. Um, Victor will. I did uh, make two parties uh, panelists, uh, Mr. Yackel and the complainant. I do have other parties on the phone. If you are a party of this matter and like to be uh, made a panelist, please raise your hand at this time. Uh, we do have parties from both sides at this time. All right, thank you. Uh, so first up, uh, we have 
read read the record, the members of the committee, and um, we will now hear for up to three minutes from the petitioner about your case. Um, uh, thank you, Chairman Schmidt, um, or and thank you for the Sunshine Committee for allowing me to speak. Mr. Nasri, would you hold on just a moment? We'll begin your three minutes. May I ask for a clarification of the spelling of your last name, please? Um, my last name is N-A-S-E-R-I. One moment, please. We will make that correction uh, on the complaint form. Thank you. Are you ready to begin your three minutes? Yes, I am. Your three minutes begins now. Thank you for allowing me to speak in the sanction committee. On July 10th, uh, 2023, I requested a public record of six documents from San Francisco International Airport. On July 17th, uh, I received only one, uh, one out of six requested document. On August 16th, um, SFO San Francisco Airport declined uh, to provide me with the re remaining uh, documents. And then on October, uh, October 6th, SFO again emailed me another document, uh, which was two documents and uh, still four documents is outstanding uh, from San Francisco Airport uh, to provide me. I believe uh, San Francisco Airport uh, violated the Sunshine Ordinance by delaying and denying uh, uh, my uh, public record request. And uh, even I repeatedly emailed them and I followed up with um, San Francisco, uh, uh, San Francisco different officials, but unfortunately those uh, uh, communication through email did not help at all. And uh, I believe they did not honor they. I believe they did not even honor their own policy by providing uh, my requested document, and that is it. Thank you. All right, let's uh, hear from the representative for uh, the the airport. I, I let me ask though first. Um, it, what is it? What is your understanding as to um, who the respondent or respondents is or are in the matter? And we haven't started your time yet. Mr. Yakel, you are muted. Thank you. Good evening, uh, members. I'm Doug Yakel. I'll be representing the airport SFO as the respondent. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so when when Ms. Peterson's ready, we'll uh, give you three minutes, up to three minutes. Mr. Yakel, are you ready to begin? I am. Your three minutes begins now. Thank you, members, for the opportunity. Uh, the airport believes that uh, it did comply with its obligations in um, uh, responding to this request in a timely manner through a rolling production. In terms of timeline, on July 5th of this year, the airport received a Title VI complaint from Mr. Nasiri. A component of this Title VI complaint included a records request, which was treated as a sunshine request. And beginning on, on uh, July 17th, the airport began fulfilling 
elements of that on a rolling basis. Uh, the airport produced all responsive and non-privileged records in its possession, apart from three radio calls, which were inadvertently withheld. This request was fulfilled and closed on August 4th of this year. Uh, the Title VI investigation was completed later that month on August 21st, and at that time, the airport had no active sunshine request for these Title VI related documents. Uh, the city attorney's office received a request for documents from Mr. Nasiri after the investigation was complete. Uh, the city attorney's office did not have non-privileged responsive records and directed Mr. Nasiri back to the airport. Uh, Mr. Nasiri did not contact the airport or open a request with the airport, and as a result, the airport did not respond further. When the airport did receive the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force complaint, we treated this as a renewed request and provided uh, both the three radio calls, which we realized had been inadvertently withheld, as well as documents that had been previously withheld under Title VI privilege. Uh, so in conclusion, we believe that we have fulfilled the obligation and provided all of the records that are responsive to his request. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the um, concise uh, presentation. That helps. Okay, uh, at this time, the members may have questions for the parties. Anything, members? Member Stein. Um, yeah, so I'm unclear, and I want to ask this question both of the respondent and the petitioner. Um, first, the respondent. Um, you said you received some kind of communication that you treated as a records request. What was the date of the communication that you received that you interpreted as a records request? According to my records, it, uh, this was a Title VI complaint, which was received on July 5th of this year. Okay. And then for the petitioner, um, is that your understanding as well that you made a records request on July 5th? And no, that's not true. I did it on July 10th. Okay, so, and in what, what form was this request sent? Uh, on July 10th, I requested a public record uh, to San Francisco. The email that I had uh, from San Francisco airport, um, uh, dag.yakil at uh, flysifo.com. And is that is that email in the packet this July 10th? Uh, uh, yes, it is. Okay. Somehow I did not catch it. Um, and do you know when it was acknowledged? Um, I believe it was acknowledged like one or two days ago, but I don't have it in front of me the exact date. And then on July 7, uh, July 17th, uh, San Francisco only sent me one of the requested documents. Okay, so July 17th, you got the first, you got a document. Yes, a document. Okay. Remember Steiner at, uh, oh, geez, what are the pages here? Because I saw I see a response page. sent that acknowledges the request on August 4th, but I just, I don't know. On page 72, there's something on July 10th. I'm looking okay. for other ones. 73. Okay. That he's referring to. Yeah, I've I've got the July 10th on it looks like thir okay. 13. 
And then my understanding too, for with the petitioner that you didn't get documents you were seeking that had to do with um, communications made with Uber or, or Lyft um, and potentially police position statements. And I have a question for the respondent, which is um, what is your process if a driver, if you believe a driver is in violation of your rules, do you contact Lyft and Uber? What is your process and what is the form of communication that takes place there? Uh, I do believe that uh, contact is made with um, the companies like Uber and Lyft. Uh, I apologize, I don't know in what form that, that contact takes. So there might've been some kind of written communication with Uber and Lyft regarding this driver, but it's not been produced. Uh, I don't know if that communication is in a written form. I apologize. Okay. Um, and then in terms of this, this idea of a police position statement, I'm wondering for the respondent, um, how you interpreted that request and, and what you thought that document might be. Uh, uh, I believe uh, that the, the San Francisco officials, they called the police there uh, the, uh, based on the incident that was there. So the police also wrote a statement or a position statement. That's why I requested a copy of that position statement too. I believe San Francisco officials um, uh, provided derogatory and misinformation to Uber and Lyft about me and that's why uber and lyft deactivated both of my driver accounts and now san francisco know they violated my uh, they discriminated harassed and violated uh, my rights and they are trying to withhold information from me so i can so i can uh, avoid legal action against san francisco uh, san francisco airport Okay, and, and my follow up for the respondent is how did you interpret what what did you look for in looking for a police position statement? How was this interpreted? Uh, this was interpreted as a uh, any documents that a responding officer may have completed uh, in the course of uh, responding out to the uh, to the incident between our ground transportation staff and uh, Mr. Nasiri, and we did not have any responsive documents that met that definition. And would those kind of documents normally be given to you or would they just be in the possession of the police? They won't necessarily be given to us, but um, if a police report was taken, then there would be some form of record. You would have a form of that record. That's correct. Okay. Um, I think that's all my questions for now. All right, thank you. Member Sugarman. Not at this time. Not at this time. All right, I have a couple questions. Uh, first to the respondent, um, could you just give us a brief explanation of what what the Title VI complaint constituted that you received from this petitioner? Uh, 
This was essentially a complaint uh, that had to do with the revocation of Mr. Nasiri's ability to drive for Uber and Lyft at the airport. And uh, drivers um, are issued an airport placard that they must display if they're driving for Uber and Lyft. And I believe that this the the origin of this was an enforcement activity where it was discovered that Mr. Nasiri's placard was outdated and he was not operating using the current year's placard. Um, when this was discovered, his old placard was revoked, which obviously impacts his ability to drive for Uber and Lyft at the airport. Uh, the Title VI complaint um, was essentially an assertion that this uh, action was taken uh, as a form of discrimination against him, is, is my understanding. Thank you. Uh, is there under under Title Six? So so was there some kind of a uh, proceeding, an investigation? What what were the sort of his Title Six complaint? How was that managed? How was that resolved? So his uh, Title Six complaint was being investigated in parallel with the sunshine request fulfillment and uh, this would involve the collection of statements from parties involved um, and these were the records which were um, withheld under evidence code section 1040 uh, so when we did uh, produce all of the documents and fulfilled and closed as of august 4th i would note that these were non-privileged records and we did withhold records under that evidence code that were as part of this title six investigation and the and the reason for this is that uh releasing of these records during an ongoing title six investigation could compromise the outcome of the investigation for example the records contain witness names and other information that if known could potentially tamper or interfere with the outcome of the investigation and that's why we withheld them um, who conducted the investigation? Uh, this was conducted by our airports. Uh, the, the complaint was received by our airport diversity, equity, and inclusion office. And ultimately, it was that organization that led the investigation. Okay. So, the, it, in essence, the complaint that was made here was it was internal to SFO. Is is that accurate? It, it, it wasn't made to any type of um, government agency. It was an internal complaint of discrimination that was resolved within the structure of SFO. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I don't know if this is going to matter, but uh, there was some mention in our paperwork that the on I'll call it the people on the ground who had physical contact with the petitioner here work for an entity that's possibly a private company, and I just wanted to ask the respondent. How is that 
set up. Um, is there a, a some type of a separate party that may or may not have some records uh, that is a private company that manages the the the, the Uber and Lyft uh, drivers? I don't think there would be any other company that would have records. Um, this activity and the the oversight of ground transportation is is managed by the airport's internal division called the Ground Transportation Unit or GTU. Okay, so GTU is responsible for what we're talking about here, and GTU is part of the um, SFO. Correct. That is correct. Okay, that that resolves that. Okay, I have no further questions at this time. Uh, members, we can move on. You, you certainly, it's fine if questions arise in your mind at any time before we resolve. I just want to make that clear to Member Sugarman since he's he's new here today, and um, we forgot to welcome him. Welcome. Um, Thank you. But this, at, we will move from questions to resolution. Any um, any thoughts on this one? We're off. We're off the questions. Well, it's never too late, but I'm just, I'm just wondering if I can direct a question to the petitioner, Please do. which is, you know, the respondent is maintaining that all records have been provided. And I'm wondering what, if you have any sense of, um, any documents you think that might be in their possession that you still don't have. Um, thank you for the questions. Um, um, actually, the documents are not provided. The only things that is provided to me that's uh, security footage of the incident, and those uh, security uh, footage. The first five minutes of the footage is uh, zoomed out, so th that means you know you barely you see the the harassment and discrimination I faced uh, from the SFO officials. That's uh, you can barely see it, but then you can see the rest of the footage is uh, zoomed in. And the, the other things that I did not receive that um, San Francisco airport reported me to Lyft and Uber. Those statements, San Francisco is de de denying to provide that um, statements because they know they, they, they know they violated their own policy. The policy between as San Francisco airport and the Uber and Lyft is the, I, the, the, the agreement I have between those companies and the airport. It doesn't mention about the placard. I, I strongly reject Mr. Yakil um, um, word before that he said my placard was outdated. My placard was, uh, was not outdated. It was good until December 20, 21st, 2023. The only thing it was that uh, I had a red placard for my vehicle for my left. And then based on the agreement, it's not mentioned, you know, whether it's a left placard and whether it's a red placard, a purple, lavender or orange color. And also 
uh, with the among the SFO officials, there's no um, uh, consensus on its policy on on the placard of on the color of the placard, whether it's a lavender purple or um, uh, red color. Because one official told me the placard requirement is red placard. The other said it's a lavender color. The other said it's a purple color. The other said it's an orange color. I have it all documented with me right, with myself with the email exchange that I received from them. The the problem is that. Uh, I faced harassment and discriminations, and now they are withholding those those documents. So I don't take illegal actions. I will take a legal action regardless if I take this, uh, if I get this uh, requested document or not. There is no doubt, absolutely, I will proceed with it. But they they are just um, not honoring its own policy. They are not honoring the Sunshine's uh, ordinance. And by by denying those uh, document that I requested, can you imagine I requested on July 10th, but I received the one document on October 6th. They only have two weeks to provide those documents, but see, it's a three months, you know, three months window. They provided you one another document, which is very absurd to me. Um, the document that you're saying was provided in October. Is that the um? What did they say was radio calls? The, yeah, the radio calls. Yes, those uh, those radio calls. Okay, so I'm what I'm hearing is um, that you feel that there's a Lyft Uber report of some sort or some communication that you didn't get, um, and then you got some documents late. The the placards, I'm not sure that that's under our jurisdiction because that's something that was that's an item that was confiscated, but it's not. I'm not sure like that we would expect them to have that necessarily or but I but I don't know. But okay, thank you for your for your answers. Thank you. I I think that delay, yeah, there there's some delay here that we probably should factor in. Um but also also um I think that it's SFO's position that everything that they had that was not privileged has been provided in its sort of petitioner's position that, well, there should have been more. There should have been more. Um, it's, it's something that we do see here quite often where one party says, well, there should be more that I should get. And they, the response is, well, there aren't those things unless they're privileged that you're saying we have. That's kind of my thought on this case. Uh, Member Sugarman, you may have had a question or two. I just, I mean, when I saw this originally, it's it's more just, just based on what you said, and I, I may have missed it in, in these responses, but from what I'm hearing, it's, it's in the, there should have been more part of it. It's also, the accusation that they are impeding this, like there's something that they, that they do have that they're deliberately not providing. And so when I when I look at that specifically with the zoomed security footage, that's that's just the question in my head. Does that exist? And I mean, a further one that's probably not in our jurisdiction, but I mean, it, it the the allegation has to do with um with something that was verbally said. So I mean, does does the footage provide anything about that i mean is it is it is it an audio recording i, I don't know other things that have to do with that 
Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that, and we we could certainly ask who responded, but I'm guessing that the answer would be anything that they have as to either videotape or audio tape has has already been handed over. I'm 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 guessing that's it. May be that there could have been other things there there in other situations there could have been other things but possibly that's just the status of those uh the tapes that exist well can we can we put this question to the respondent um did was the video footage that was provided did that come from one camera or more than one camera and if it came from one camera why would some of it be zoomed out and some of it be that's, zoomed in yeah. That's a question the, for the respondent. Correct. The um, the footage uh, I'd have to check to see if it's come from multiple cameras. Um, most likely, it's from a single location. Um, these cameras are able to be controlled by um, uh, security staff. Uh, they often use it to. Uh, if there is a issue that requires attention, they can uh, use a joystick to uh, bring into a focus a particular subject uh, that that uh, camera has access to. So uh, the zooming that you might see in and out is essentially the operator manipulating the camera system in, in real time there. And we really don't have the ability to, after it's already been recorded, after the moment is over, we don't have the ability to, to zoom further in and out. Okay, thank you. I mean, you know, I, I think we can make a motion that this is, you know, public documents under our jurisdiction and we can forward it to the full task force for consideration of whether there's a timeliness violation. I would make that motion. I second. All right, thank you. Let's have public comment on that. Yes, if there's any members of the public who would like to make public comment, you can. Uh, indicate that by raising your hand at this time by pressing star three if you're on the telephone or using the application itself to raise your hand at this time. Uh, we have two parties with us at this time and neither one is raising their hand. Okay, there's no public comment on that. Let's have a vote. Member. Motion by Member Stein, seconded by Member Sugarman, that this matter is under the jurisdiction of the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force, and the matter should be forwarded to the task force for its consider for its consideration. Is that sufficient? Yes. Um, Member Stein. Aye. Member Sugarman. Aye. Member Stein, aye. Member Sugarman, aye. Chair Schmidt. Aye. Chair Schmidt, aye. That motion poses without objection. Okay, let's, um, we, we finished with our cases today. Uh, let's move to number seven, which seems, it says it's file number 23095 hearing. Uh, but let's call number seven next. Item seven is file number 23095, a hearing on the proposed edits 
to the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force complaint procedure to expedite complaint processing per the Sunshine Ordinance requirements. Okay. Uh, the, and I, th I think that the best way to, unless I'm missing something, uh, describe this to member uh, Sugarman is that we have been having discussions at a couple of our meetings about developing a, a proposal to make changes to how complaints are handled. And it's it's something that uh, Member Stein and I have all also uh, gone through in the past. We had limited success in getting changes made in the past. And so there is some repetition between what we've looked at before and what we're looking at now. But we're, we're trying to come up with um, a, a, a better procedure, a faster procedure, and it involves changes that would be made both at the committee level in hearing uh, complaints and also how complaints are dealt with at the task force level, potentially. And so hopefully I'm, I'm being general enough uh, to give you a sense of what we're talking about. We can get a little, in a little more specifics about it, but because you're new to the committee, I think we thought let's try to get you up to speed along with member Stein and I, and I mean, she and I have done a lot of work on these on these issues. And so I, I feel it's a little bit unfair to just like throw it all at you and say, what do you want to vote on something like this? So we don't have anything in in a formal type of um, written form at this time, like something to vote on, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that maybe we can try to tell you what the issues are that we perceive and some of the ideas that we've come up with. I was considering doing a written proposal uh, for today, but for two reasons I, I held off. One was that um, this is your first meeting and I thought we should just have a discussion before we get into written um, proposals, which is, you know, hopefully a written proposal that would be passed here with whatever edits we do and then present it to the task force. Um, and the other thing is I, I, I just wasn't sure if it, it felt a bit more like the members we could stress to them the 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 problem here uh, a lot better a year ago because the task force was much further behind than it is now. Uh, but then one complainant's cases were all, and this is this is anonymous number three, 
he dismissed like 60 or 70 different cases. So the numbers feel different now. And I think that some people on the task force feel that, oh, now we're great. But I think that, uh, Member Stein, I, I, I think I can speak for Member Stein on this, that we both are looking at the rule that says that a person who brings a petition is entitled to a determination and an order within 45 days. And the time on that, I'm going to estimate back before anonymous uh, kind of gave up the ghost. It was about maybe a year and a half that the average uh, complaint was actually brought to an an order. And at this time, just looking at, and, and I'm just ballparking it, but looking at the number of complaints that are lined up to be dealt with by the full task force, and I think it's something like maybe 60-ish, 70-ish, 80-ish right now, that's eight, nine, ten meetings, if not more. It's so we may be still like a year behind. And so I I think that we're talking about how can we somehow do things faster. So I'll I'll stop there. Hopefully that was um some description. We uh, uh, Ms. Peterson, um, uh, uh, Mr. Young, did, did this just get assigned a, an official number? Um, um, I like to assign a number to every file. Good. Just in case we get a document, I want some place to put it. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Uh, just want to make sure that was what was what was happening here, yeah. and I didn't miss anything. That's fine. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Stein. You, like add to what you yes, said a yes, little bit. Yes, please. So we did like just we had we sort of discussed it. Like you probably don't want to go back, but the last two meetings we had, which you weren't at, we discussed it as an item. Like what would we do? What how could we change things and make them more efficient, essentially? And another piece of this is that now that you're on this committee, you might be like I was at the beginning, where I kept trying to figure out like what are we doing on this committee. <laughs> um, because it felt like at, at best, we might be saying, okay, yeah, these truly are public records and they're in our jurisdiction. And this is what we would recommend going forward to the task force to kind of help streamline their process. But at worst, it was almost like we're kind of hearing the cases twice. So we're hearing it here. We're asking the questions. We're trying to figure out what's missing. What do we need? All of that. Um, and then it's going to the full task force where all of that is happening again. And I do think there is a perception on the part of a lot of people who show up, both the petitioners and the respondents, that they're having to show up twice, they're having to present everything twice. What is the point of this meeting? I think we've defined it more, like in our tenure on this committee, we really pushed like making recommendations as a way to kind of streamline. Before that, that wasn't even quite done. So it's just like trying to rethink, like, is there a value added to bringing it through this committee? or another committee before it goes to the full task force. If there is a value added, what is that? If there isn't in some situations, maybe things can just go straight to the task force. 
Um, so we were trying to think about like, you know, are there some set of cases that makes more sense if they go straight to task force and don't get heard here? Is there some other set of cases that maybe it makes sense that if we hear it here, we also decide it here? Like it doesn't have to be read here and then read again by people on the task force and reconsidered. So those are sort of some of the things that we were thinking about. But then I'll just add on this, you know, in the Sunshine Ordinance, yeah, it says that you're supposed to be able to get a resolution within 45 days. To me, that's really important because, and I feel like you might this might resonate with you as a journalist. And I always say this like in the meetings, but like information has a shelf life. It's valuable at a certain time for a lot of people. Like it's valuable before you have your court case or your hearing. It's valuable before you're gonna write your article if you're a journalist or whatever. And if it takes a year to get it, it's lost that shelf life value, it's, right? It's definitely lost its value after 45 days as well. <laughs> for, <laughs> for the most in most cases. Yeah. Many people, right? So our you know, and then this thing about the huge delays because we had one petitioner who just put tons of material through here. But if you read the annual report that we did last year, you know, I basically saw that in one year, the task force was able to resolve about 45 cases or something like that. So if we're still getting 60 to 70 cases a year, maybe, maybe it will be different this year. Maybe things will have like sped up because we now have a consent calendar where some things can just be approved without a full hearing when they get to the full task force. So maybe we're processing more cases now, but we're gonna do the report again and hopefully see if, if there's been a change. And if it's still that we're only processing like 45 or 50 cases in a year and we're getting 70 or 80 cases, then it would suggest that like, we're never gonna catch up. We're always gonna be a year behind, um, but I don't know what that's gonna be, right? So some people have made a lot of, oh, we've had so many cases dropped but I feel like there's still a pretty big backlog and I'm not even sure that with our current processes that that, that will ever change. So that's kind of the problems that we're trying to address and think about in thinking, is there some more efficient way and value added way to handle all of this? So um, just a couple things. Um, it does seem to me um, in this meeting and uh, as is acknowledged my first one, um, that this is a lot more efficient as it is just because there's just three of us here. And so there's not as many people, you're not kind of like passing the ball between the entire board, um, and kind of re going over the issues as we do, you know, in, in a full board meeting. So I guess like, I, and I had some presumptions actually coming into it. I actually, um, given the way that actually I was appointed because I was, it was, I think it was a rules committee hearing that, that came up first. And so, um, when that happened, they made the recommendation that, and it wasn't discussed with the board of supervisors. They just kind of took the recommendation. They made a vote on it. And so something about this hearing, I mean, I realize it's an apples to oranges comparison, but I, for some reason figured that we would be doing potentially in some instances, a similar thing where we would hear a case. We would hear the merits of the case and then make the recommendation to the full sunshine board, which from being here and hearing your explanation now sounds more like we're just hearing and seeing whether or not. Um, it falls within our jurisdiction to hear before the full sunshine board and the other advantage that I, that I, that I often have taken advantage of in the, in the few meetings that I've been at the full sunshine board. Is that you get to hear the explanation of the, like, you get to hear a summary of the case from the complaint committee because you, you were able to, to hear it. And, um, so I guess my, um, those are my thoughts. My question is, um, is there a report or like a, um, a tally that you keep 
how many cases don't fall within the jurisdiction? Like in this process of us being here, how many cases are you dismissing or sending elsewhere or just saying, you know, no, thank you. That's part of a, the administrative function. If I, if we get a complaint that we don't think is in our jurisdiction, we try to direct them to the correct party. And, but if they insist, we still accept it, of course, but. Jurisdiction wise, we try to direct them and head off any potential issues that are not in our purview. Right. I, I think it's a pretty rare situation. The non jurisdiction uh, possibility, uh, it does come up. And an example is uh, like a, a private company that subcontracts for the city and somebody makes a request to them. They say, well, you know, we're not covered by the sunshine ordinance. There are certain agencies, like, say, someone goes to the. Um, uh, like the federal federal government and then comes to us and says, well, we, 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 we're bringing a sunshine complaint against federal government. Well, we don't have jurisdiction over the federal government. So the jurisdiction issue. Yeah, we rarely see it. Uh, partly because they handle that administratively and they direct people to where they should be going. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times it's it's probably I could count on five fingers or less. I've even thought that we had a real jurisdiction question in, in this committee. It's very rare. And I don't even know, like, frankly, how significant I think the determination of things being public or not is. Every case that I think I've seen, it tends to involve public documents. Sometimes they're all privileged and yet they're withheld. privileged public documents. But frankly, um, I think that to, to make a committee and to tell us that we need to figure out jurisdiction and whether something's public, it almost sounds to me like, who thought of that? It's like, and, and you know this, this the task force has been around for thirty years. It's it's got all kinds of different members uh, with you know different agendas, different this, different that. But somewhere along the way, this process has been built up that we see here today. It's been changed here and there, here and there. It would be my argument that if you look at the actual Sunshine Ordinance and then you look at how we handle cases, it's kind of like apples and oranges. And so we have this, to me, very inflated process, which is causing um, like a whole bunch of extra committee time, et cetera, et cetera that is is not required by law and also it forces us to push these cases way out and yet we have the 45 day rule which frankly i just i i've been here for three years 
And I just don't see how we can get away with not satisfying that because it's a mandatory requirement of the ordinance. And so I think that the core of. I, I don't know if member Stein is as like obsessed as I am with the 45 day. Yeah, and I admit it, uh, but I think that I think that that should be the way that everything revolves when you're dealing with a complaint and it's the, the way they pass the law and this law was passed by journalists and by all kinds of different people who are out in the political community. You know, they wrote it a certain way and they wanted, they wanted fast answers. They wanted fast orders from the sunshine task force. And it's my feeling that the people who've run the task force, they just lost sight of the fact that the law was written for fast answers and they've, they've created this process and it's just kind of gone on like that. Now, I'm not saying that other members of the task force necessarily agree with me either on the urgency, but to me, like, if I can just be guided by the wording of the ordinance, what it requires and what it doesn't require, what it allows as opposed to requires, that I think that satisfying the ordinance mandates that we have a simpler process. That's that's my own uh, opinion on this. So um, I'm all for efficiency. So I, I agree with that. Um, so I'm just, just so I understand, we don't make recommendations on cases. No, we do sometimes make recommendations, but we've tended to, because it's a recent thing that we could say, go to a consent committee or that we've even kind of pushed in this direction of recommendations, but we tend to only make them when we think, okay, this is really clear. This is something we want to signal to the task force. You don't have to, uh, you know, What's the word? You don't have to get too confused by this issue because it seems really clear to us that this is late or that this shouldn't have been exempted or whatever. So if we think it's like pretty cut and dry and not that arguable, we tend to make that recommendation. Right. Or we might try to hone things in like like somebody says, oh, we think there's all this array of allegations. And we might say, well, we don't think these really apply here, but these two need to be looked at carefully. So we're just trying to direct in that way. Um, or we're we're more and more pushing to send things to the consent calendar too if we think it's like dead on clear and we really don't even think there needs to be a hearing at the task force level. But the other what's the other thing? The other thing I wanted to say, like one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, I'm not sure that our value added lies in determining public hearing and jurisdiction. I've never seen, maybe I've been on a little bit less than you. I've never seen a case where it was decided we don't have jurisdiction. When you say we've seen things on five five fingers or one hand, what we've seen is like maybe on one hand where there's an argument or whether there's jurisdiction. And we might try to like see if we can figure it out here, but you, but we've never been able to. And then it goes to the whole task force where they have to figure it out. So one of my thoughts is, gosh, if there's no argument about jurisdiction or there's no argument about these being public documents on the part of the respondent, then why send it here at all? Why not send it straight to the task force? You know what I mean? Like if the if the respondent doesn't come and says, wait, no, we don't think these are public documents or wait, no, you don't have jurisdiction over us. We agree you have, these are, and you have this. Like, why does it have to come here if all doing is deciding public documents under our jurisdiction? 
but maybe we have some other value added to add. Right. Maybe we can decide certain things here that don't have to go to the consent calendar where, even though it's not a hearing, everybody still has to read all of these cases. And that might be thousands of pages. And, you know, it's a lot of time spent just trying to figure out, okay, is this, can we consent to this? So for me, um, I mean, I agree with you for, for most of what you've said. Um, to me, it's more, uh, the thing that kind of pops in my head over and over when we're discussing this is why the parties are all appearing. So if it's like, so, so, if, so if you're here and, and, and between the three of us or whoever's on the complaint committee looks at it and says, oh, this is, this does have jurisdiction. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to like, you want, you want the parties to respond if they think that it doesn't, I suppose, but like, you could also do that if we, if we had the meeting, had the review, sent an email saying that this does have jurisdiction as opposed to having the parties just. Yeah appear for every single case, which is what it seems like is happening. But another thing I want to say is like another thought that the value added of these committees has been is to, and I, I don't know, I think you share this thought too, is to try to make sure the files are complete, try to make sure we have the documents that we need when it goes to the full task force for them to make that decision on the part of both the petitioner and the respondent. And particularly because our charge is to advocate for the petitioners or to, you know, to give every benefit of doubt to the petitioners and to help them with this process and all of that, there may be a value in us being able to tell the petitioners, wait, you didn't include the original request or you should have included this documentation or that, right? But I am wondering more and more, is that too much handholding that they're going to submit it all and then we have to review it and then it goes and it gets reviewed again? That's kind of a lot of handholding, number one. Like, maybe they just need to be responsible to submit what they need to submit, and then the decision gets made if they haven't, you know, whether or not they've submitted the right material. Or maybe there's a way to review that at the committee level and, and just make a notation to them without having them have to even appear, saying, hey, we feel like if these documents were here, this would be a stronger case. Please include them before the task force hears it. So that would be, like, another way to think about two, those two things. I mean, I, I, I honestly agree with both perspectives. So you have on the one hand, bureaucratically, it's like, well, this is what was, this is what was asked of you. Like they go to, they go to submit a sunshine complaint and it's like, this was asked of you and you, you could, you could, as, as opposed to what you're doing now, you could just say, well, this wasn't here and just tell them that, or you could have it go to the full board and they could see this, this, this part of the, the file wasn't here and just tell them that, um, for me. In my own professional life right now, I'm in a new role, and it's kind of it's sort of the same thing I've noticed, um, you know, uh, in, in a way where it's like I've come into a place where people have told me, oh, well, let's just take the old system and do away with it. And I'm always like, let's see what, where the value is. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, just coming into this um, personally, um, I find a lot of value in, in preliminarily reviewing the cases. Um, but I do agree, as I've said, um, it does seem like it's redundant and um, time consuming for having the parties appear for for both times and having us review the entire case essentially um and then having it because basically that, that's that's what it felt like tonight is we're, we're reviewing the case with the parties and then the same thing is going to happen before the full, full board and they're going to ask the same questions that we just asked so it seems like it'd be it'd make more sense for i mean i think that it makes sense 
for the efficiency of the full board to even have like this committee review the case first, just so that it's like, you know, it's, it's summarized and like that we know potentially if there's any potential issues with it beforehand, we can still see them. But to have that done with the parties, I would say that's like the, the efficiency point, you know, to, to potentially eliminate that or at least reduce it. I, I think that the, the ideas that we've had come down to either giving us as a complaint hearing committee or any of the other committees will also do the same thing, giving us the power to resolve certain cases. And it's done. Uh, such as like an admitted timing violation. Um, and it, it, it's, it's my belief that there's nothing in the law that says that one, that you're entitled to any hearing because the language on hearings is, is you, there may be a hearing. And so that could mean zero, zero hearings. Um, it certainly doesn't require two. And I don't understand why there's been a, with the, I, I think it's actually up to the the um, chair of the full task force. Uh, I, as far as I've seen, they've assigned a double hearing to every single case in since I've been here. And to me, that's a choice that they make that I think should be questioned. Um, especially if you were to look at certain types of cases, like, what are we doing here? Why are we spending so much time on this? And so one way that we thought we would make changes is to give this committee power to make certain decisions and final decisions. Or any committee, or, or any committee who's hearing an initial complaint. And, and then, um, on the other hand, the, the idea of two hearings, I think that a case should either get a hearing here and get decided here, or it doesn't get a hearing here, but it gets looked at and sent to the task force without a hearing here. And so we, we get the concept of no, you don't have to have, and also you don't have to have the parties here twice. Now, my even more complicated add-in on that is that if we were to try to also satisfy the 45-day rule and we look at the limitations that I think we should know that you know we're, we, we have, you would have to get the case immediately to a committee once the case is submitted by the complainant. It would have to go to a committee very fast. And that committee would have to either resolve it or send it to the task force. And it would probably have to come up and be decided at the next task force meeting. That's how the timing works around here because the task force right now meets only once a month. And so that 
is light years different than how the present procedures stand. So I don't know, you know, if what is to me complying with the law, if if we could ever get to actually complying with the law in getting the 45 days. But I, I do think we, you know, using the consent calendar, trying to make recommendations, as you said, maybe we should do that. And also to make some changes so we don't have these duplicative hearings, maybe that can speed us up and get us closer and closer to that 45 day. Because ultimately, I think that that's really a value that people who, you know, they come to the task force, um, that's the both the value to them and the sort of the 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 hammer that gets used with the respondents, if the respondent knows that they're going to possibly get an order against them that is in that 45 day period, that would cause uh, people to move faster. But if they know that it could be just a year and a half of, you know, repeated hearings mm -hmm. and that the task force doesn't really care about you know, time, which is very, you know, that's the message that we give right now mm -hmm. is we don't care. It's a year, year and a half. I mean, you, you've seen, um, I think you've seen Ron Cicero, who's writing the book about uh, the Zodiac killer. He, he's had a complaint in front of us for a year and a half. He's trying to write a book and he gets nothing oh a documentary um he can't get jack from the police and 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 you know i mean just coming from me the the police department is definitely one who we see a lot of resistance to sunshine complaints but he's been waiting a year and a half and um that's just not right to me but that's the message that we give to our agencies is, oh, you know, maybe we'll start like to harass you after a year, year and a half to get this thing finalized. We do see a phenomenon too, where a lot of departments only produce the information like the week before they come to a hearing. You know, it might be a year, it might be a year and a half, but suddenly they get it together to focus on what hasn't been done or what needs to be done, or they provide it more information about where something is or any of the Cicero case is kind of an example, but it's only like the week that it gets to the hearing and they're focused on it that they give a more considered response, it seems like. I mean, that happens a lot. So that's another reason to try to make it faster. But then I also just wanted to add, you know, you mentioned this right now, I think if, uh, if they agree that there's been a violation, it goes to, I mean, a um, if both parties agree to it, that there's been a violation, it goes to the consent calendar. But again, then everybody has to read it. They have to agree with it. Like, I'm not sure that process needs to happen either. Like, maybe that's something that could be decided in the committee. They could just, the committee could read it, agree, and it goes. Or, and the other thing is, at least last year, we'll see what the situation is this year. Half the cases were just timeliness violations. And a lot of times it comes here and it's very clear. A request was made this date. It was past the date when you know the the California Public Records Act or the Sunshine Ordinance requires that there be a response, and it's a timeliness violation. Again, 
that seems like a pretty simple one in many cases to maybe devolve onto a committee to just make the decision um, without necessarily, you know, having it be heard twice. So it sounds like you, uh, uh, I mean, from everything that you said, it's the last part about a timeliness violation. Like that seems like it'd be a clear cut thing that we could decide on this committee in certain instances, if we yeah, with, like provided the right information. There's no dispute of the facts. Yeah. And to what you were saying about a double hearing, to me, it seems like there shouldn't be a double hearing. That's one. But to the extent that we're hearing the cases, they should be cases that we should be able to make decisions on, right? <laughs> it it seems that maybe if we do have a hearing on a matter in in a committee, that it it should be in certain cases that we could make a decision. Um, there might need to be sort of guidelines to 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 give us some sense of you know like we talk about categories of cases like timeliness violation cases or you know there's an there are occasional maybe a fourth of our cases have to do not with documents but with public meetings we could handle those don't actually have a 45 day um limit and so we could handle those in whatever way we want to, and the, you know, that a lot of the process that exists here, I think it's been sort of expanded and blown up over the years because everybody thinks that um, like a more more process is better because it gives us a better answer at the end. Like the more and more you get to hear a case, the more and more you get to look at the evidence, the more and more you develop. Yeah, so so you get a really good case at the end. Um, but um, that, on the other hand, is is maybe something that's done at the expense of um, like you, you get people. I it's my belief, and we don't have statistics statistics on this that. There's going to be people who give up after six months, and they're like, "My, you know, what am I going to write a story about now? That something happened a year ago? Think about it. You know, we get a, a lot of members of the public, but we also get journalists here. Mm. And in fact, technically, I represent the SPJ here, and so I'm always trying to look out for, uh, you know, journalists' interests. And to me, like. You're right. Forty-five days. That's not. That's way too long. You know. That's way too long. But it is something that's much faster than what is actually happening here. So I think that maybe to me the task force over time and accretion has lost sight of what it's supposed to be doing here. So, in my limited experience, uh, I would actually say probably about four or five years of experience, but in 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 creating public records requests for journalists, um, basically the, the the responding party either would give you a bunch of information or they would do what what seems to be what we see or what you're describing in the sunshine force. They would give you the runaround and if they did that, you would run around for weeks and either you would finally get something that was produced like in a discovery production where it was like in 
40 boxes of information that you would never find. Um, and so like, if, I mean, just, just in my experience, if a responding party wants to do that and they want to go through this, this process, that's what they're going to do. I'm not saying that we should enable them to do that. Um, but in terms of like increasing efficiency here, um, it, it, it just, it feels like, I, I think that from everything that I've heard, um, that what we're doing here, and again, this is just from this meeting and from what you described to me, we're trying to find if there's jurisdiction, which there almost always is, and we're trying to find um, holes in the filing that we could potentially tell the parties to, like, make better as well. Um, and I would add to that, you know, in terms of, like, um, where you're talking about, you know, making the, the ordinance more effective and more efficient in time. To me, in my experience, not just here, but am I limited on the board, it seems like, you know, what the board really is doing is giving parties their chance to be heard on what they're, what, what, what they're having their issues with um, in a venue that potentially other venues are not listening to them. <laughs> so um, in that instance, it's just like the, the only thing to, the, the thing is to get, to get at least to the part about jurisdiction and um and about f figuring out the holes in the case the way that it's presented here in terms of the callers calling in and, and talking about their various cases they are arguing them and so like that's that's i don't think i just personally don't think that that part is necessary um unless um as i said i mean it depends something that you said about um, they don't produce the records until like a week before a hearing, right? So are there, I mean, are there a lot of cases that are like that or a significant number of cases that are like that? Um, just to, yes. just to say, uh, officially, they're supposed to respond within five days of receiving the complaint, but it rarely happens. Well, Maybe right. we can do. Like they will withheld records, withheld records or redacted them or something. And then they get that notice, mm -hmm. and then that week they suddenly produce some records. Yes. <laughs> so that does happen. I mean, I, I don't know what percentage of time it happens. I haven't tracked it. So. it it's the idea that oh, we oh, look at the calendar. Uh, we've got a deadline because there's this hearing coming up. So, you know, go get so and so to get this thing out before the hearing, kind of thing. But. You know, I mean, I know how offices work. If I don't have a deadline, you think I'm working on something? No, it's just like I'm not trained that way. And I think that's just kind of how people work. And so if there's somebody who is, you know, giving you a date, like the task force is giving you a date that something has to happen, then you you target that date and you try to make it happen before that date. And, and so we, I think we need to use that power. Right. Well, we're on the, we're, we're, we're saying the same thing. To I extract what we're trying to extract on behalf of people. Well, yeah. well, right. But I mean, so, so basically if, because, because we were talking about that earlier about like the immediacy of these requests and how people can't respond to it in a certain like date. But what you're saying is that there are people who will spend like, 
weeks or months not responding to something. So that's really like, it seems to me like in those cases, wouldn't it be easier just to be like, oh, well, they were supposed to respond to it by this date. They did not respond to it with months later. Then shouldn't the complaint committee just be able to say, well, then this is our ruling. There was a violation. The end. Right. Yeah, I, I think. I, and, and again, it I think there might be. That's that's a prototype of a case. And so there are certain prototypes of cases where we could handle them in different ways. You know, we could almost say, oh, that put that in this basket, put that in that basket. And there may be the occasional case that's just a complete like, oh, geez, you know, this one's complex, et cetera, et cetera. And then we'd say, well, we're going to even though we're we're having a hearing here, this also should be a full task force hearing case. But I would say that that you would try to make that the exception as opposed to a rule, because I think that a lot of stuff could be done very efficiently, either if it's here, if you have some 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 level of hearing here or you have no hearing here, but you just have a brief, something brief that happens here and it gets sent on for, for them to hear it. It seems like one of the questions that gets asked is who the responding party is, like who's the person that's supposed to be producing the, the documents and the public records. So it seems to me that if you do have like a clear petitioner and a clear respondent, you know, the, the respondent is, has supposed to produce something in a certain amount of time and they haven't, right? Then you should be able to make that decision. There might be instances too, where some of those cases, the messy cases where the jurisdiction is unclear or, you know, there are clearly documents that have not been provided um, that are outstanding. Like, maybe there's a way to see like, hey, these should just go straight to the task force. Why do these even have to come through committee? Like, mm -hmm. committee can't resolve them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I think you'll find that there are going to be a good number of people on the task force who say, well, you know, this gives people an opportunity to have a hearing and then to have a hearing. They get to feel heard. And and I think, you know, and, and so they, you know, they might say that's due process. And so they they like that. And I, I understand that argument that this if we if we give people extra extra consideration, then we're doing a service to the public, um, and and that might be something that other people on the task force have take and see as much more important than than in 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 relation to how we should do things. They would potentially strongly disagree with me. Where I say, but you know, what about speed? And so the fullness of the process versus the speed of the process is to me sort of like that's that's my Polaris on this thing is the the speed and getting people what they and using our leverage to get people to comply. Right away, in, and as the law was written. 
Sherry Arnstein, who like led HUD in the 60s and wrote this article about how people participate in government and talks about like some aspects of participation as therapy. I feel like <laughs> sometimes that's kind of what's happening, but that's not necessarily furthering our ultimate goal of resolving complaints. So there may be a sort of therapeutic or satisfying aspect, being able to go and like seem to have this big hearing and you get to say everything that's frustrated you and all that kind of stuff. But if that's stopping 20 other complaints from being resolved and 20 other petitioners from getting their information in a timely way, that's the deciding factor for me. So I'm presuming that whatever proposal and resolution has to be passed by the Sunshine Force yeah. Board. That's that's our our understanding. I mean, I think there are things that I've already changed about how I do this committee that maybe some people disagree with. That's one level, but in terms of changing the rules, we're talking about. Um, and I think what we'll, we'll have is uh, Member Stein may have some written material. I'm going to have written material as to ideas to look at, to to consider and to debate. And it would be we might come together in this committee and have figure out what we want as a majority or as as a, a unanimity what we think are improvements that we want to make and so we would make a package here uh written improvements which which would generally be amendments to either the bylaws but more importantly amendments to any of the procedures uh for hearing complaints and then the task force it would be sent to the task force for consideration and vote yeah and as we say there's no real clear process for how do you bring things to the task force if you want to like change processes or procedures or you think there's something that should be done differently. I mean, one way is like one person could go and bring it to the whole task force for discussion, right? But there's no real clear mechanism, I feel like, to, and there's in fact a lot of prohibition against allowing anybody in the task force to speak with each other if it's not in a completely public forum that everybody can observe and participate in and contribute to. So I think we thought it's good to have the discussion first in committee so that there's at least three people who can kind of try to hash it out and figure out like, can we even agree on how we think procedures need changed before we take this to the task force, right? Otherwise you're doing everything in a vacuum and just kind of showing up and, you know, you have no idea if you're completely off base or, or what, you know? So that's why we're yeah. doing it here first. Just so we can see, like, can we even three of us figure it out? Like, if we would do anything and what we would do. And I would argue that we should think about, like, what would we change, want to change kind of procedurally and see if we can get agreement on that before we get into the nitty gritty of, like, this bylaw has to change and this, this. why do that if we can't even agree on sure. what needs yeah. to happen? Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely. And so we're sort of, I think, with this meeting today, we're kind of like opening up what's going to be, hopefully it's going to end up in a, a resolution that uh, would, you know, or, or multiple, multiple resolutions. I think what happened a year ago is we had six sub parts of, of 
changes. And um, one, I believe, passed, the others didn't. And a couple of those subparts, I'll probably not even bother with later on, but others, I might work parts of those in and change them up a little bit. But we would, I think, you know, meet again here. Uh, and I totally agree with Member Stein that, you know, it's one thing for us to decide that's a good idea. And it's the other, another thing to decide how does that end up in a, a an edited document, which is a proposed bylaw change or rule change. Yeah, but it all is in the same process. Right. And as to whether I whether the propriety of us doing these changes, I'm not worried about it anymore. I think it's I think it's fine. I don't think there's a process that prevents us from doing it. Well, I'm just saying this is why we kind of picked this process. But yeah. I also want to stress that this we're not suggesting nothing we're talking about here involves a change to the Sunshine Ordinance itself. Right. We're actually we actually feel like we're trying to adhere more closely in our own procedures that we've developed over time to what the Sunshine Ordinance says. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So everything we would change is like totally inherent, internal to the task force. Um, well, I agree that, uh, I guess I asked that because I agree uh, that I, I would think that there are people on the full board that wouldn't, would that would disagree. They, they would think that somehow this isn't giving certain petitioners their due process essentially. Yeah. Um, so it was more a question of like, what could you change? And then how would you make that argument to the full board? Like, how would you tell them if you wanted to reduce the number of hearings? Um, but, um, to me, I'm kind of like thinking about case number two today that like there, the party wasn't here. And so we continued it. And so, like, that just kind of made me think about generally speaking, you know, and again, in the double hearing sense that like. All parties have to appear twice, and it affects the outcome of their of of, of their complaint or or you know which which one they're defending. And um, to me, like, given what you've said that you're that you're basically making jurisdiction recommendations and you're trying to find a more complete file, that it's like it would it would make more sense as a uh, like the, the the parties could be invited to appear, but only to like flesh out the file itself as opposed to arguing their cases and that's and and really like maybe maybe they're they're given the option to appear because it's public comment they want to make sure they have their due process but like but it's like we could send them advisory messages that say oh we're missing these pieces so if you want to appear and explain yourself like and that and then you they wouldn't necessarily have to appear otherwise it's definitely uh solution we've discussed like we've thrown out a lot of ideas discussion has been going on for like a year or two and the last couple of meetings and that was definitely one of the ideas too yeah like how can we give them feedback without having it be like a full-blown hearing yeah just on the point of appearances i think that um like there are members who have prevailed in having the rules require uh these double appearances. And I would be sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is, I don't think that people should have to even show up uh, in order to get a uh, complaint uh, seeking an order. 
Oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Why do they have to go to court to do that if we could do that without them showing up? Right. And that's and, usually how it's done. I, I don't get it. I, it's like it, to me, it feels a little bit narcissistic of us to think that these people should we should like like make them, you know, be before us uh, twice. Uh, and they will enjoy being there for some reason. I, I think that's a big assumption. To but make. another argument has come up, yes, which is yes. this, this fear that if you don't require them to be there, that people will just submit even more complaints because if they don't have to show up, it reduces the burden on them somehow. But I think the burden of submitting the complaint is big enough. No, I mean, I thought about that. That's 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 a different wrinkle. I completely agree with you. It just it seems to me like in every like every other court case that if you don't appear that a decision is still made, you know, like you basically get like, yeah, and that's that is the decision that's made. You 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 basically the, the, the judgment's entered against you, you know, or like or or the judge decides, like the judge looks at the merits of the case and decides, which is what that that first of all seems like it should be happening. I had this weird thought that didn't come up until you mentioned about, well, if they don't appear, they'll file more cases. It seemed to me that like, and this is, this is like, it might be a little controversial. <laughs> um, it seemed to me that they, there should be potentially a limitation on how many people, I mean, how many cases can be filed and heard remotely necessarily. So, like, I mean, it's just that, like, in terms of case volume, I do think uh, so taking remotely and then putting a separate thing next to what you just said, um, that there should be a limitation on the number of cases as well. Right? Like, in we a given time span. <laughs> yeah, I thought about it in terms of remote. I generally, I generally. Try to err on the side of, like, making it as easy for most petitioners as possible and not put burdens on them, whether it's peer in person or whatever. And I think that to me is a little bit in uh, the spirit of the Sunshine Ordinance as well. Like, you know, you can't tell them only such and such person can get the request or things have to happen a certain way or request has to be submitted in a certain form or format. And that's kind of the um, current thinking about like, you know, public records request laws or public information laws worldwide. It's like, you just want to reduce the burden on the petitioner. But I have thought about, and we haven't really dealt with this at all either in any of these proposals that like, you know, half of our cases last year came from three petitioners only. Yeah. And a lot of it was like stuff with overlap and, you know, just multiple, multiple things against the same agencies. And I do wonder like, you know, maybe there should be a limit on how many Petitions somebody can file or complaints they can file in a year, or if there's not a limit on that, maybe there's a limit on how many are prioritized for hearing and then how many have to go to the back of the queue until everybody else's petitions are heard or something just to have more equity in like who's getting heard and getting their things resolved. Because otherwise, it seems like we don't have any. One of the things we have seen is just a monopolization in a way of the process by just a handful of petitioners. And there are no filing fees, right? No. I didn't think so. I'm not, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect no. there to be, yeah. but like, I keep thinking about this in terms of like, in comparison to court cases where it's like, you have like built in. Yeah. You, like you mechanisms for, for 500 bucks to file a superior court case. Exactly. So it's so, so people are, are discouraged from doing it over and over. they can, they can file as many as they want, but they're discouraged from doing that because there's a financial barrier. Not saying that there should be one here, but it does sound like. I mean, if you're talking about efficiency, right, and you and you just said, like, even if you just, if you dismiss all these other 
great ideas. <laughs> and you just focus on the fact that there are three people filing the majority of cases. Well, there were last year. I don't know if that will be the case this year, but yeah. But that seems like the easiest place to, I mean, honestly, to start. I mean, if, if there really are, if, if they're legitimately creating a nuisance by doing that, right? Like, then there's, there potentially should, should be some, like, limits on what they're doing. I haven't, like, figured out how I really feel about it. Yeah. Because I see it as an issue. But, you know, there could be that they have 10 completely justified cases I mean, for the record the same agency right but then maybe you still have maybe there's still a value in saying okay you have you think you have 10 you have 10 times and you didn't get it but maybe you can just pick five that you think are your strongest cases that really show this agency has violated bring those five to us in the year and we'll make our rulings maybe we don't need to rule on all 10 or 15 or 20 like you know well i liked your first suggestion about that where where it was um I mean, because because if you are if you're if you are trying to not limit people, which is completely a, a good thing to to work toward, then it's more like um, maybe not even limit the amount of cases they're allowed to maybe they're allowed to file all of them, but 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 only put it within our purview to 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 hear and decide on like a prioritized number of them, especially in deference to other people who are only potentially filing one case. Um, and I was gonna actually mention some names. Which I won't because it's still part of public record, but I will say that in terms of serial filers, there are 2 people like 2 parties on that list that I knew of before coming onto the sunshine force. Like, that's how like prolific that they are. So, like, I mean, it does seem like it's a, a genuine, you know, issue or concern. <laughs> yeah, and again, for me, it's just an equity concern because why would you want a process that allows 2 or 3 people to take all the time of a, a board that's trying to make sure that everybody can get their information. Okay. I, uh, I believe we, yeah, <laughs> I believe we do not have a meeting next month. Is that correct? Has anyone heard otherwise? I think I saw that. Um, I don't know if the other members of the body were, were copied on it. Yeah, uh, but since we don't have a lot of new complaints, uh, there's not a priority for the complaint committee to meet. And if there are anything that needs to be met, uh, compliance and amendments can hear. Good, good. Because I didn't want to bring two sets of Wait, committees. So is there a date I can cancel off of my? Screen? Yes, uh, that would be the um, December the nineteenth. All right, and uh, actually, I should, I should, um, I should put a. Um, Conclusion on the item that we're on, because if we're talking about what we're going to do, um, maybe that goes on the last item. So, I, I believe that we, you know, I think we introduced you to the issue, and uh, we'll be getting more, more finite, more concrete, and um, developing specifics on this and you know we may not necessarily agree on everything but we're going to flesh it out and see what we come up with uh over the next couple meetings let's say all right um that will conclude that number can we call the next number on the uh, i just want to call public comment we have oh, public comment yes that's still on the phone with us if you wanted to make public comment you can raise your hand i'm just going to unmute them just to be sure we're not having a technical issue 
Hi, caller. Uh, you are unmuted. I see you just raised your hand. Would you like to make a public comment? Mr. LaCroix, would you like to make public comment? Uh, um, yes. yes, I would. Can you hear me? Yes, give us one moment. Um, can you set up the timer for three minutes and let him know when he may begin? Mr. LaCroix, are you ready? I am. Uh, good evening, committee members. Good evening. Your three minutes begins now. Okay, Roger that. I'm actually case number 23095, which is agenda item seven, which I think there was some confusion on the agenda um, as to why there was a. I believe, if we can pause this time, I believe uh, the number was mistyped. Uh, it was it was on a complaint and it was reused uh, by a complainant. Uh, so that file number for item number 23095, I believe was reassigned to a complaint and not to this hearing file. We'll make that correction. Is Am I correct? You are correct. It was assigned to um, LaCroix versus the San Francisco Fire Commission. They receive a notice that a complaint was going to be heard tonight? They did not. No, we never sent out notice of hearing for that number. Uh, this is an issue with two people working in the same system and trying to coordinate with each other. But we never sent out a notice uh, for uh, the original file 23095. Uh, but uh, my apologies if there was any confusion, Mr. LaCroix, but you may proceed with your comment. Okay. Yeah, there was a little confusion. I didn't want to miss my hearing. I saw my hearing number on your agenda. So, but I did listen to your whole dialogue on the um, on the proposed edits to your process, and I I made a few notes that uh, from a user standpoint, um, maybe I could throw a few things at you. Yeah. Um, this, this is my first. Please, just a moment. Please. Just one moment. Reset your three minutes. Would you hold one moment, please? Oh, you bet. Your three minutes begins now. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, as I stated, there's, I did listen to your whole dialogue there and, uh, from a 1st time user standpoint, um, maybe I could throw my 2 cents in. So, there was a couple things you talked about and 1 was, um, streamlining or with, with regards to streamlining the complaint procedure. So, there was some comments about members, maybe not including the original complaint. Um, with their complaint or the original, um. I want to say records request with their complaint. So one comment on that, the, um, the complaint form does not state anything about including your records request if it was a records request. So maybe that could be a good edit to uh, put on the complaint form that if you do have an original records request to include that. Um, my second comment is your website. If you click on at the top, one of the, one of the headers is summary of the complaint process. There's actually no mention of the complaint committee in that complaint process. It just says we'll re be referred to co to committee. It doesn't say complaint committee. And then it does describe the jurisdiction, you know, uh, dialogue that you might take there. And um, so that's something that uh, maybe could be addressed is actually say that it goes to the complaint committee. Because I just happened to find your agenda under the complaint committee because I was looking under all the committees to see uh, when the next meeting was that my hearing might be um, my initial hearing might take place. So I just happened to stumble across that. 
Um, but if it actually said complaint process or complaint committee, I would have been directed faster. So there's also, um, when I did file my complaint, there was a document called public complaint procedure that was emailed to me. And in there, uh, there's also no, no, or, um, no mention of the complaint committee in there. It also just says committee. So that's something that could be edited. Uh, so people could find your committee on your website and possibly review your agendas, minutes, um, previous meetings, um, audio files. So that's my two cents. Anyways, I look forward to your next meeting. I'm, I'm a little disappointed there's no December meeting. It looks like we're going to go far beyond 45 days in my case. So um, that's, um, that's a little disappointing. Anyways, uh, good evening. Thank you for listening to me. Cheers. Okay, thank you. Um, Victor, is that? Uh... There is nobody else uh, with us today. Okay. And just in regards to listing committees, uh, all committees can hear new complaints, and that is why we left it like that. We don't limit new complaints to just the complaint committee. It was a way to uh, hear more complaints by allowing the other committees to hear the complaints. And is there a chance that uh, Mr. LaCroix's complaint would be heard by a different committee if if we're not meeting, wasn't that? Uh, there's a, I believe the compliance and amendments committee is only meeting in December. And uh, they have a full agenda, but I will take a closer look to see what's going on. But there was three other items that were pulled off today's meeting that we need to prioritize scheduling uh, with lower numbers. But we do try to prioritize uh, by who filed first. All right, thank you. Okay, uh, next item is the announcements item, et cetera. Item eight is announcements, comments, questions, future agenda items, and pending calendar by members of the committee. Okay, um, and that's, I, I guess I got ahead of, ahead of myself just telling people that the December meeting um, is not going to happen because a different committee is meeting. Um, and at least one of us does think that if, if, if the complaint committee doesn't have any complaints to review, then why, why have a meeting? Um, I mean, I, I, we can certainly set up other things that we're doing for those times when we have complaints uh, to review. Um, members, anything you want to add to this? We already had a pretty long discussion about future agenda items. Anything else? Nothing from me. Okay. Um, and I think technically we would allow public comment on this. Um, yes. Is there any additional public comment? Mr. LaCroix, would you like to make any comments? I'm hearing no indication. His mic is unmuted. Okay. Uh, next item. Item 9 is adjournment. We'll do adjourn. Adjourned at 810 p.m. Thank you. Yes.